0: Uh, our scripture reading today is uh, some, some good news for us. It is a it is declaration of Jesus' arrival on this earth. It's John 1, verses 1 through 18. Our scripture reader is Mary Colley. In honor of God's word, please stand.
1: Listen as I read. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is the word of the Lord.
0: We are in a series uh, called Advent in the Gospels, and we're spending time each week kind of checking out how each gospel... Uh, account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how each gospel account uh, opens up the door. How does it open up uh, the reality of Jesus? How does it introduce us uh, to Jesus? What are those first words that each of the gospels use? So a couple weeks ago, we looked at Matthew, and we saw that right off the bat, Matthew starts to tip his hand and show us that uh, he he wants us to think about a king, uh, that this Jesus is no ordinary person. He's he's actually a a king, and he's the king that we've been waiting for. In the Gospel of Mark, we saw that he's the Son of God, uh, that he's no, no ordinary man. He's actually deity, the Son of God, uh, come to earth, taking on human flesh. This Sunday, we're going to jump to the Gospel of John, and we're going to see that Jesus is the Word and, and what that, that means. And then this coming Saturday, for our, this next weekend worship service, uh, we're gathering for Christmas Eve only uh, 4 o'clock next Saturday, and we'll take a brief look, but we'll take a look at the Gospel of Luke and how it points to Jesus as a Savior. So today is uh, G- John introducing us to Jesus as the Word. And remember, we're in a season of Advent. The word Advent means coming or arrival. And so there's an anticipation to, to this season. There's an eagerness. There's a, uh, a longing for it to happen. And there's some ways in which we put ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites and we say what would it be like to be waiting for the Messiah to come? All of those Old Testament promises, all of that waiting, still no Messiah. What would it be like to be in their shoes and anticipating the coming? So we we try to process that and then we remind ourselves that look look at us in our shoes. You know, 2000 years ago Jesus did come and then he left and he said I'm going to come back and I'm going to make all things new. And for the last 2,000 years, the followers of Jesus have been waiting for Jesus to come do that, to come make all things new. And so there's this sense of, of longing. And Advent, you know, it's an invitation for us to stare into the dark, to actually pause long enough to say, okay, a light broke in, but what did it break into? Uh, what, what, what is Christ going to, you know, we say the world needs to be remade. We say that sin came and vandalized shalom. We say that it's a broken world. What, 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 is, what is it that makes it broken? What is going on around us? And so Advent has the, uh, the audacity to actually ask us to, to look at the dark. But it doesn't stay in the dark. There's rays of light. There's little flares of light. And we want to see those and, and, and grab onto them with, with incredible hope. So how does John introduce us to, to Jesus? Well, he calls him the Word. I want to I look at what, what, what is the word. John chapter 1, you just heard it read, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is how John starts his gospel. What does he mean? Well, I can tell you he is not shooting from the hip. This is not John just being like, maybe I should write something. And you know, like you, maybe you journal, and some mornings you're like, I don't know what to say, and you just start like, I'll just start writing and something will come. That's not what John's doing. John has an incredible intentionality by writing what he's writing. And he uses this phrase, the word, and he uses it on purpose. And you might say, why? Well, because it was loaded, that word was loaded, but it was loaded for two different groups of people. First, it was loaded for Jewish people. Uh, for, for a Jew, this, this word, this phrase, the word, it would be rooted in faith and history. If you were a Jewish person in the first century and you got your hands On John's Gospel, and you read those first lines, and you saw the Word. You saw that phrase. That is a big deal for a Jewish reader, and we have really good reason to believe that a majority of the first Christians were Jews. Uh, After Jesus ascends, there's a a, a day that comes called Pentecost, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 2, and Peter, one of Jesus' followers, preaches this killer sermon, and thousands of people come to faith, well, that, that happens most likely, that happens at the temple in Jerusalem. And so it's, it's highly likely that the majority of those 3,000 converts were, were, were Jews who heard what Peter said and immediately realized, like, oh, this is the Messiah. Maybe we heard some things that he said and that got our interest, but, but we didn't put the pieces together. Peter just opened the door, he just turned the lights on. And, and these, this largely Jewish crowd responds in faith to the message of, of Jesus and so a lot of this first the first century uh, Christians were Jewish a lot of John's readers the original readers would have been Jewish so think of what a Jew would say if they were asked the question what happens when God speaks what would a first century Jew say to that what happens when God speaks their answer would be like crazy stuff like huge things happen when 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 the God of heaven talks Things happen. The the, the Old Testament was what the Jewish people centered their lives on. And they knew the Old Testament as the word of the Lord and the word of God. And John doesn't just say word. If you notice in those first verses, he also slips in the phrase, in the beginning. John says, in the beginning was the word. You put those two phrases together, those two phrases have huge baggage or good baggage for a Jewish person. In the beginning, that's the first phrase of Genesis. That's the first phrase of the Torah. And then the Word, this sense that when God talks, when when God reveals like something's happening, God God has something to say, and they want to hear it. They they recognize that in that account of Genesis, that creation was by the Word alone, that God spoke the world into existence. You know that's the storyline of Genesis? That God spoke the world into existence? Like trees came from God saying it. Light came from God saying it. His word was recognized as having incredible power. And the opening declaration of the Pentateuch is, in the beginning. You know, there's a, a, a Christian author, speaker, rapper, his name's Shai Lin, and he, he, he dropped some lines here a few years ago, and this is what he said. If you find Genesis 1-1 believable... Nothing that comes after is inconceivable. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly right. If you, you believe what God says he did in Genesis 1.1, then there shouldn't be anything else in this book that leaves you stunned. That, that, like, that's a stunner, what God starts off the Bible telling us. In this declaration, it's like their anthem, That in the beginning, God. And then this recognition that God revealed, God spoke, God shared with them the word. These phrases are, are huge. So John's, you know, th- these phrases would get their attention, but then John does something new with them. He adds to it, in the beginning was the word, and then he tells them, you know what I'm talking about, right? is Jesus. If you heard as Mary read those verses, you get up through verse 14, and by verse 14, it's, it's crystal clear that John says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. The word's Jesus. Th- this word is the person of Jesus. Jesus is no ordinary man. So you could put it this way. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus is God. That's the first group. What about the second group? What what does this phrase, the word, mean for another group? Well, it'd be the Greeks. If you know, that the New Testament was written in Greek. So while many of the first century believers were Jewish believers, Greek culture had swept that, that part of the world. And so they were largely Greek readers and Greek speakers. And so when the New Testament was penned, it was written in a language that was spoke by, uh, spoken by most people, the, the uh, language of, of Greek, which if you go to seminary, you've got to endure learning that or trying to. And it's, uh, I'm not so good at that. But it's the language that it was written in. Well, there were Greek people. Gre- Greek culture was everywhere everywhere. You know, Jews were not the only people who read the New Testament. Greeks read the New Testament. It was written in their language. And so John is intentionally using an idea that was part of the philosophical debates of the first century. The, the, the Greek word for word is logos. That, that's the Greek word, logos. And logos has the same root as the word logic. Same idea, like the reason, meaning, purpose, and maybe you've heard this before, but the Greeks were kind of into philosophy. Did you know that? Yeah, they were, they were kind of into that thing. And, and for centuries, they've been wrestling and talking about these philosophical ideas. And logos was a major part of the conversations that existed in Greek philosophy. So for the Greeks, when they would read this phrase, it's rooted in philosophy. For the Jews, it was faith and history. For the Greeks... It's, the, it's the, like the contemporary conversation of the philosophical nature of life, of the world. In the fourth century uh, BC, af- after Plato uh, died, uh, two interesting, well a few, but t- two interesting philosophical schools popped up. And you know if you know th- about these, you know they're way more complex and detailed uh, philosophies than we would have time to unpack here. But, but to try to boil them down or get them into a nutshell, here, here they are. The first one was, was a group called the Stoics. And if you were trying to boil down, what did the Stoics believe in, in one phrase? Here would be a way to try. They, they believed that there was no meaning to life, so just do your best. So, 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 so give it your best shot. The, the Stoics would say something like this. Even though there are no answers, that there, there's no reasons. There, there's no meaning. There are no answers to life. That's a a dead end. There aren't any answers there, but we have to live like there's actually right and wrong. We we, we have to try. That's how society is going to be stable. So be strong, be moral, be generous, be good. Why? Well, let's not get into that. Like There aren't good answers, but we got to act like there are. Try. Live that way or else the world is going to be intolerable. Not only that, life itself will be intolerable. There's no answers, but live as if there are. The second group is the Epicureans. And here's what they would say There's no meaning to life, so live it up. There, there's no answers to any of this stuff, so have fun. The, you know, the, the Epicureans, they, they agreed. Stoics said there's no answers. The Epicureans said, Well, yeah, there's no answers. But then they came to a different conclusion have a party, eat, drink, and be merry. Light it up. Enjoy it. Have a good time. Live for pleasure. Party hardy. Like, hedonism. Enjoy it. There aren't, there's no reason. There's no purpose. So just do, like, just do what you want to do. Have fun with it. You look at those two options, and those options existed for the 4th century BC. They seem pretty modern, don't they? Can't you see those two schools existing in our current culture? John is intentionally using the word logos because it was part of the philosophical debates in first century Greece, but it's also part of the philosophical debates in the 21st century America. We're still asking these same questions. I hopped on Instagram and ran a a little uh, search for the hashtag do good. Three million posts for people telling other people to go do good. Then I ran a search for the hashtag YOLO, which means you only live once. Usually it's associated with like, take the risk. Don't let anybody hold you back. Go do what you want to do. Go have fun. You want to guess how many posts there were for YOLO? 30 million. 30 million on Instagram. People just saying, hey, it only comes by once. You only go around one time. You only live once eat it up enjoy it there's you know i don't know what the reason of life is but i'm going to have fun with it so either i don't know what the purpose of life is but i'm going to try my best or i have no idea what the purpose of life is so i'm going to i'm going to you know live out every urge every desire i'm going to have fun with it you know, post-modernity, our, our, our time uh, in, in the world, it's brought new dynamics. I mean, the development of science has brought new questions. There, there's all kinds of challenges to why we exist, what the purpose of life is. But it's so interesting that these similar conclusions keep coming. There's no real meaning. Nobody really knows why we're here. So what now? Well, John brings up logos. Why? Why did he bring it up? What do you think the reason for life is? When John says that Jesus Christ is the Word, that Jesus Christ is the Logos, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, he says, the Word came down and took on human flesh. The Word came down and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson translates that as the Word came down and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus showed up on earth. When John tells us this, What John is saying is that there is a Logos, but it's not an idea. It's a person. This logic, this reason, this meaning, it's not an idea. It's a person. It's a person to be known. It's a person to be served. It's a person to be loved. The Logos includes ideas and principles for sure. Jesus has incredible things to say about how to live your life. But he is infinitely more than that. The Logos is not an it, it's a person. You know, one author said that God punched a hole in the roof of the world and climbed in. That's what John 1 is telling us, is that God took on human flesh and came into this environment, came into this world, walked on the dirt of the earth, had real relationships, gave real hugs, cried real tears, ate real food. The Logos is not an it, it's a person. What John is saying is that even though Christianity does answer philosophical questions. It's not just a philosophy. Boy, it is so much more than that. It's not just an idea. It's a comprehensive power that covers every square inch of life. If you look at verses 2 through 5, especially in verse 4, as John writes, he says, in him, in the word, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. He's telling us that when Jesus showed up, he turned the lights on. He revealed. He opened up eyes. And the Bible is constantly referencing this idea of blindness. And Jesus came to do something about that blindness. He came to bring the light. And then he goes on to say that this light was, was life. So not just he didn't just turn the lights on. He actually brought dead things to life. And one of those dead things was my heart. And Jesus came to bring it to life. The word is life. Jesus is saying that Jesus can be your life. He can be your alpha and your omega. That means he's the beginning and the end. He's all of it. Tim Keller says that Jesus and the gospel are not just the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z of Christianity. It's it's the whole spectrum. That Jesus isn't just how you get started. He's not just fire insurance for when you die. He's... He has something to say about all of your life, the beginning all the way to the end. He can be your word. He can be your logos. He can be your logic, your reason, your meaning. Is he? Is he your logos? Is he your personal reference point? Is he your main reference point in all your decisions? Is he what you're living for? Is he the highest priority of your life? You know, just a few weeks ago, we shared with you that one of the ways that we want to reorient ourselves as a church in the years ahead is we we want to just double down on this commitment to helping people follow Jesus. And and this is is why. Because we actually believe that he's light and that he's life. That fundamentally, he's the logic. He's the reason. He's the meaning of life. And we want to invite ourselves and everyone else to see it. Is he yours? Well, look. If he isn't, then let me tell you what you have to do. You have to come up with one. You you, you have to manufacture your own logos. You're going to have to do, and it is hard to do. Because you know what? You need a reason for waking up. You need a reason for getting out of bed. And yours might be assumed, but when you lose your reason for waking up, it is a desperate life. And I know this is a a very sensitive subject, but if you were to check the numbers on suicide in our society, those numbers are spiking. And one of the reasons that they're spiking is less and less people have a sense of what the purpose of life is. What's the reason to get out of bed? If Jesus isn't your logos, then you're going to have to come up with one. You're going to have to build one. You're going to have to make one. And that is not an easy journey. You know, a few years ago, about 10 years ago, we did a series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, it's in the Old Testament, and it's complicated. And it's basically about philosophy. And 10 years ago when we did that series, I think I read more about philosophy in those, in those, uh, and during that series than I did at any other time in my life, trying to associate these, these questions that the book of Ecclesiastes is, is wrestling with. And during that series, one of the things that I just, I mean, this is pretty obvious, but one of the things that I realized is that philosophers have been consumed with this question. What's the purpose of life? You know that? You Go, go read philosophy. They are consumed with the question of what's the meaning of life. Philosophers sit around. I mean, that's all philosophers do is sit around. But they, they sit around and they keep asking this question. What is the meaning of life? But have you noticed that the general public is scared to death of it. Philosophers are spending centuries trying to figure it out. You and me, man, we just wanna know what's the next show on Netflix to binge. You know, wh- what are we gonna have for lunch? You know, don't, don't distract me. What, why do you think it is that, that we distance ourselves from that question? Because it is scary. It, it is a scary question. The philosophers are actually asking the most basic question, what's the purpose of life? you need to ask it too. And what what is your answer? We we all need a reason for waking up. Your soul needs that answer. It is begging for that answer. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce is a a pastor. He was a pastor in, um, he's not living anymore, but he, he was a pastor in Philadelphia and he wrote some commentaries. And in his commentary on John, he has a quote from Plato. And so it's, it's, in, it's in James Montgomery Boyce's commentary, uh, and I'm just going to say it's reported to have been said by Plato. Uh, but th- this is the quote that he has in his commentary, that Plato said this, this is in the 4th century B.C. It may be that someday there will come forth from God a word, a logos, who will reveal all mysteries and make everything plain. Well, if Plato said that, guess what, Plato? God did that. About 400 years after Plato said that, while the philosophical debate regarding the Logos was still raging is it YOLO? Is it go do good? John wrote this In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was Jesus. You know, the advent of Jesus brings what our souls have been waiting for our whole lives, whether you know it or not. Now, look, I've heard a lot of opinions about the meaning of life, and you probably have too. It can feel kind of like a group discussion on a poem. There's probably some English teachers in here. So, but, you know, it's like if, you, if you've ever been part of a group discussion on a poem, you know how this goes, right? You read the poem, and then everybody has an opinion on what the poem means, and nobody has the audacity to tell anyone else they're wrong. So whatever you think the poem means, everybody's like, mm-hmm, good thought. That's good insight. Nice job. And it's like, yeah, I don't know what they mean. You never know what artists mean. It's like, I don't, I don't know what those lyrics mean. I don't know what they're trying to say. And so it just feels like everybody's got to affirm everybody's take. Everybody's got to just nod and smile at everybody's opinion of what the meaning of the poem is. Because everybody's opinion is of equal value. Okay? That might be true culturally. But what would happen if in the middle of that discussion on that poem, the author of the poem came into the room? And said, here's what I meant when I wrote those words. Case closed. Case closed. I mean, that, that, what, why? Because the authority lies with the author. It comes from the author. When the author speaks, nobody has anything else to say. You can't say, no, no, that's not actually what you meant. No, that, it's, it's exactly what he meant. It's exactly what he meant. And John, in John chapter 1, is saying, the author has spoken. As you come to, to, to verse 18, he's talking about Jesus. And he says this, there's this grace and this truth that came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. Jesus has made him known. That, that Jesus came to reveal this. That Jesus came to turn the lights on. And it's like the author of the poem sitting down and saying, here's what the poem means. You want to know what the meaning of life is? Jesus Christ is the meaning of life. He's the light that he turns on the lights, but he turns on the lights to show you that he is actually your life. You know, one of the cheesiest comments at Christmas is Jesus is the reason for the season. If you watch The Simpsons, does that not sound like something Ned Flanders would say? Totally sounds like something Ned Flanders would say. But really, honestly, we we shouldn't roll our eyes at that. Jesus is the reason for the season? Jesus is the reason? Yeah, not just for the season, Jesus is the reason for everything. Je- Jesus is the reason for all things, for the entire world and for your life. God sent the reason, Jesus, to live with us and then to die for us. And that should change everything. You know, as John writes, John chapter 1, he knows we need a reason. He knows we need Christ. You know, in, a, in a minute, uh, we're going to sing a song. Uh, and it's a song that you may have heard like literally a million times. Um, I played it for my family yesterday, and uh, my daughter, who's home from college, said, oh, this brings back so many childhood memories of uh, our road trips and blah, blah, blah. But it's a song called, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, by the band U2, written by their lead singer named Bono. You know, Bono, and maybe you've heard him talk about this song. It's uh, over 30 years old, but he said that it is a modern-day psalm, that when he wrote I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know, Bono is a believer. He believes that Jesus is the word. He believes that Jesus is the son of God. He believes that Jesus is the one true savior of the world, that he's the king of our hearts. And when he sat down and wrote this this out, he said it's it's a modern day psalm. Because as Bono looks at who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world, and you'll hear in these lyrics, I believe in kingdom come. I I believe that you took my shame, that you went to the cross. I, I believe all those things. But the refrain is, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. In other words, I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I believe that Jesus is the Savior, I believe that Jesus is the King, I believe that Jesus is the Word, and at the same time, I look around at the world, and it seems a mess. That, that, that stuff doesn't seem like it's come yet. I, st- I still haven't found that. I believe all of that, but I haven't found it yet. Where, where is it? And if you're familiar with the Psalms, you're going to be very familiar with the reality that the psalmist is often bringing things like that before God with this level of honesty and desperation and saying, God, I believe all of these things about you, but look at what's happening out there. Your enemies are winning. They're pounding us into dust. It looks like they're getting away with it. The world does not seem right. What is going on out there? You see, it's this, this song, it's an invitation to cling to Christ and to long for something more. To be honest enough about the fact that we, we have all of these things that we've, we've put on Christ and they are rightly put on Christ. He is going to be the one who makes all things new. But it's also true and honest and genuine to look around and say it doesn't feel like that right now. You know, are, are these sojourn stories that we've watched, they have invited you into the stories of many people in our church Quite a few of them have had a, a, a lot of heartache uh, that, those, that those, uh, those in our sojourn family have experienced. Some of you know some of these stories, but over the last 50 days, I think we have had more tragedies in our church in a 50-day stretch than any other time uh, in my 16 years here. You know, our, our broader sojourn family over these last 50 days, there's been, uh, the, and these are just who I know of, there's been four loved ones who've, been, who've died either to stroke, heart issues, or cancer. Uh, there have been three automobile accidents connected to our sojourn family that have resulted in the death of four people. Family shattered, lives shattered, hearts broken. You know, it's, it's, it's this is Advent season, and I know that it's tempting to want the Hallmark Channel, and it's tempting to want everything to be warm and, and fuzzy, but one of the great strengths of the Advent season is that it lets us long together for that hope and that peace and that joy and that love that only Jesus offers, and to long for the remade, renewed world that he promises he will bring. We we don't look to those things hopeless, we look to those things full of hope. J- Jesus meant to give them to us so that we can navigate the world. You know, Jesus actually said before he left, in this world you are going to have trouble, but I've overcome the world. So he's, he's mapping it out for us. He understands if we look at it and say, I still haven't found it. Where, where is that peace? Where is that hope? It doesn't feel like it's here. And Jesus' answer is, well, it's, it's, it's already, but it's not yet. It's broken in. The light has shone in, but it's not here in full. And that day is coming. And so like the saints in Hebrews chapter 11, we put our eyes on Jesus and we hope and we wait And as you might know, in Hebrews chapter 11, there's a long list of saints. And many of them, we get some details on their story. And and the author of Hebrews tells us, and they died before they saw the promise. That's the story for the majority of the followers of Jesus. And yet, we can do it with such incredible confidence and hope that Jesus will keep his promises. And so even in this season of Advent, can we look to that hope, that peace, that joy, that love, that flows from Jesus. So we come to the table, I want to invite you to remember that these elements, this bread and this cup, they really represent something. They, they represent the body and the blood of the word, of Jesus, of the logic, of the reason for life. The word became flesh so that we could see him and hear him and know him. But he also became flesh so that he could be our substitute, so that he after living the life that we should have lived, could die the death that we deserve to die in order to bring us to God. Our practice is to come down the center aisle, take the elements, and then head back to your seat on the outside aisles. But if you're not ready to come, especially on a day like today where there's some, some heaviness and some recognition of the world being broken, people can just climb over you as they head out. Uh, your row stands up. You, can, you guys can figure that out. And, uh, and you can take your, take your time and come... Come when you are, are ready to come. There will be some prayers on the screen to help you uh, talk, talk with God. So uh, if our service will please come, let's pray. God, we thank you for this, this news of the word, of the logic, of the reason, of the meaning of the world, the meaning of life. That Jesus is the high point, that he's the climax, that in him all things come together. It all fits He's what it's all about. All the scriptures are either pointing forward to him, about him, or pointing back at him. God, would you help us to see him as our Alpha and our Omega, as our reason for getting out of bed in the morning, as the one who makes sense of life. He has so much to offer, so much to say. Fundamentally, he wants to make our hearts alive. He wants to reunite us to you. So God, would you help us to receive him, to see him, even this morning.